Welcome to another episode of This Week with Sabir. Next in our hot seat is Bianca Vokaram. Uh, before I jump into her bio, I, I, you know, if the face seems familiar to you, she is the the elder sister of Christina, uh, Fully Raw Christina, and Bianca is phenomenal. Uh, she is a award-winning public relations professional, and in today's show, uh, this is a master class in public relations. So I'm here to absorb like a sponge everything that Bianca can throw at us. Uh, she has been honored as PR News uh, Rising Stars 30 under uh, 30 and under Woman in the Fast Lane by the Greater Houston Women's Chamber of Commerce, and has been recognized as one of the top uh, female business professionals in Houston by the Houston Business uh, Journal. Uh, so she has uh, she had so, but the Bukaram uh, Public Relations Group is her public PR agency, uh, and she has. I, I, you know, the who's who of clients, basically. And and she actually helps a lot of uh, her clients. Uh, we will actually, we will talk about very interesting things here, right? Mm -hmm. We'll talk about traditional PR and we will talk about influencer marketing and digital PR uh, and storytelling, a lot of things. You and I will jam on a lot of amazing topics right. related to this because I see a lot of media that I would love to be on. I've been on two of them uh, in my history, uh, but I, I see you know, Huffington Post, CNBC, uh, you know, I, I see here, um, you know, CNN in Espanol, Culture Map, Dubai Chronicles. Uh, mm -hmm. My wife's family is in Dubai. Uh, they're expats from here. So, Bianca, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sabir. It is truly an honor and a pleasure. Um, as you mentioned, my sister being one of your um, you know, mentees. It's really, really wonderful to be in this circle of trust and the part of the family. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a public relations professional, really delving into how to connect people and their stories to the right people, right? So whether that be traditional media, whether it be influencer marketing, or if it's any specific combination of everything, as you well know, to grow a business requires consistency, a great message, and a way to tell the story, right? So it's our job as marketing and PR, the two hands that need to talk to each other all the time, to create a message that number one is filled with knowledge and something that people need. Uh, my sister, for example, had the perfect story of that. She reversed her onset type two diabetes at a time where you know, we were just having a very difficult time getting you know, our food and beverages under control. So green was not a cool thing, right? Um, she was walking around with a big case of bananas saying, why does everybody look at me so funny? And I said, Christina, give it 10 years and you will be changing the world. And you know what? It really happened that way. But how did it happen? It happened through continual storytelling. It happened through finding a business um, portal for her to be in front of people day and night and then disseminating that message on digital platforms. She was one of the first to come into the digital space as a green influencer. So it's really cool to watch, you know, from the back end, how that wave kind of went up and is coming back down and then it'll go back up again. And that's your expertise on, you know, how do I plug myself back into the digital space and what does that look like and where do I grow and how do I grow? My real specialty is finding those people with these amazing stories to tell. Um, it's actually really interesting in the last year alone, which you wouldn't think given the climate that we've been in, people have seen a 30% surge 
in public relations businesses. So that means that people are ready to get out there. They still want their stories to be told in times where people might feel a little bit restricted, constrained. There's still burgeoning stories waiting to happen. There's still people doing great things. There's still people pivoting. There's still, you know, knowledge to be had and people really wanting to make a difference. And that's what we're here and we're called to do, right? So where I really find myself specializing in, you know, public relations for people with fantastic stories. Like I have the first woman to ever medal at the Olympics in boxing, Marlena Sparza. She is a badass wow. man. She has a baby. She was the first woman ever signed a golden boy. Like those stories light me up. Like my sister changing the, the face of the world through raw foods, right? Um, Marlena Stell, who was one of the first women in business and the beauty industry now with like close to 8 million followers, making business in beauty and being an influencer. You know, these these types of stories light me up, right? And so the passion that you feel when you tell a story for a client is also a huge component to your success. Um, but it's also being able to take that messaging, distill it, make sure that you find the right outlets that are going to also resonate with it, and then taking those campaigns, running with them, and making sure that they hit the right audience's sweet spots, right? So that's the real magic sauce inside of, you know, how do you strategically approach PR? You get down to the message, you get down to the different points that might resonate in different parts of different audiences, and then you have to wizard enough and have the emotional intelligence enough to be able to connect the dots and find the right people who are gonna take that message and ripple effect it out, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's interesting. Um, uh, yeah, thank you for that, by the way. Uh, when, I, um, when I meet entrepreneurs, right? Uh, entrepreneurs come from all different walks of life, right? They. Yeah. They are, you know, because uh, you can classify entrepreneurs pretty pretty much into either they're a product designer or they really know some kind of manufacturing. So that's their skill set. They know how to do that. And because now they're an entrepreneur, they're expected to wear all hats, you know, yeah. marketing, accounting, human resources, you, you name it. Everything. An entrepreneur does everything, right? Everything. And then uh, the other type is they're really good at messaging. They're really good at marketing, not necessarily PR, but marketing, right? And they know how to take a product and and at least position the product from a marketability standpoint or a service, you know, in a mark from a marketing standpoint. And then there's a shortfall there. Where I see, I think, a publicist or a PR playing a role is how do you take those two things? You take a product that's an amazing product, and how do you take a a, a marketing engine that marketing person has created? Because usually people just put marketing and PR together, and those are two separate things, you know. Completely different. Uh, and how do you take those things? And and the 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 word really that resonated with me, what you just said, was storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. And and PR, I think, is that craft that actually uh, that allows you to storytell. And the outlets could be traditional outlets like TV, radio, and so on and so forth. But newer things like uh, you know uh, YouTube channel and uh, you know, working with influencers, working with podcasters and 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 uh, having a website and telling your story on Facebook and stuff like that. Yeah, it's fascinating. So I actually had a client come to me, uh, I think it was two years ago. I ended up getting her, she was my CNBC actually in Dubai. We had a live TV interview. It was so exciting. She was the only client representing the U.S. housing market at this global exposition in Dubai. Um, and we were laughing, you know, after this all happened because she approached me because she had a publicist who was a, a little bit older than I am. Uh, and this publicist said to her, I don't do Google verbatim. <laughs> she said to her, I don't do Google. 
And my client looked at her, she was like, are you living in the current state of where we are right now? And then <laughs> I was like, no, you can just send me the press release. I'll pick up the phone. I'll call the people. We'll get them there. And literally my client was like, you know, because we are so streamlined into the digital age, right? But what really makes a story be told is when it is earned, right? So they, they say that PR is what people say about you, right? It's it's what somebody says about you when you're not there that really earns their respect. And that's what my job is about. My job is earning you that reputation by telling your story in a way that that is not um, overly forced or it feels like, you know, in advertising, they say the word spray and pray, right? Like you just send it out there and you hope somebody will end up, you know, wanting to learn more. Um, PR is actually a very targeted approach to connecting your insights. So, and I also just read this statistic to you, 96% of people want to see industry experts giving their inside take, right? Like I actually also do PR for a trucking company. Who in the world would think that trucking was relevant? Well, right now, during what we're going through, where supply chain management is so important, getting goods from one place to the other, especially to deliver, you know, important things mm -hmm. to people who are struggling with illnesses. It is very, very important for those industries to have the latest technology, for them to be above, above the curve, for them to be giving, you know, their drivers the correct vaccines. It's very important for our industry to be telling those important stories. And you would never think, but... You know, when you tie the knots together and you say, okay, what is the value proposition here? What are we actually adding to a consumer base? Well, this industry expert can tell you what it's really like. When you get an inside view, which is what people really want, because there's also a statistic out there that says 87% of people do not feel that they trust our media. How horrible is that, right? We're sitting here stuck at home and the only thing we can do is watch TV or get our news, you know, from certain outlets. I take my job very seriously and it is my job to make sure that I am distilling the information in the most accurate way to give those news outlets the right picture, right? That is so, so, so important. And so when you talk about traditional versus non-traditional as well, I make sure that I arm any influencers that I work with, with the correct data so that they can also, you know, be an advocate for a brand or a widget or whatever it may be that they're, you know, putting their heart and soul behind to make sure that we as consumers, as the general public, you know, have an experience that lasts. And like you're saying, telling that story, what, what ultimately does that lead to? That leads to an experience, right? Like if I tell you that there's the best aquarium downtown, you're going to want to go and see the fish. So then I have to talk about what fish are there. Why are the fish important? Like you have to create the story around that. Right? So there's an element of storytelling to anything you can do. And when you're little, what do you want to do? You want your parents to read you stories. It provides safety. It makes you feel comfortable. So it's an element of living a very, you know, good life. Like you want your life to be enriched by the stories that you tell or you surround yourself with. So I, I find it very comprehensive what we do. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you look, we were actually just before the show started, you and I were talking about our backgrounds and, and, you know, how the choices we make and where we ended up, uh, you know, landing. Right. Uh, PR for you, What did the journey start from sixth grade that you want to be a PR publicist? 
I wish I could say that I was running around with a microphone in front of people's faces and being like, hold on. Um, I do remember one time that Christina and I were in a family vacation and she had the microphone and she's like, I'm Tammy Lynn reporting live from Yellowstone National Park. And I was like, fix your face, you know, but no, I was not actually. I went to Vanderbilt University. I graduated with a degree in political science, a minor in Spanish and a concentration in Arabic studies. So I speak Spanish fluently. I can read and write Arabic, although I'm not fluent conversing in Arabic. Um, but I will say, oh, and I had, a, I was on track to be pre-med, right? Like all of the most random things <laughs> ever that now have prepared me to do my job actually better than if I would have had a communications degree because I'm in the science of the nitty gritty of what I'm promoting. So like if I'm promoting a doctor who has an antidepressant medicine, which I did a while ago, it was so awesome. I actually knew the chemistry of what I was able to say, hey, doctor, did you think about this? And she was like, oh, that was a great, you know, sideline. And much like you, you had no idea you were going to end up, you know, in this. Like we both have a little bit of a background in theater and music and understanding what it's like to tell your story. But no, I had no idea. And then I fell into it because my sister needed someone to help her tell her story. And out of love for my sister, I jumped in put my hands in and started writing emails to producers and was like, hey, Christina's got this story. She really needs to get out there and blah, blah, blah. And then all of the incoming, you know, inquiries came in. And I was like, I actually kind of like this. Like, thank you, Christina, for giving me my, you know, my landing ground. Um, but yeah, it was really a fantastic journey. And then when I realized I was actually really good at it and how much I enjoyed it, um, it's like, darn it, I should have gone to school for this. <laughs> <laughs> And but, but I think, you know, but I think that, you know, when you go to school, I think the school teaches you kind of the process of learning, right? Mm -hmm. But when you when you get the experience in real life, like you like you have, right? And uh, like I have also in, in in my growth hacking and all the work that I do. Right. Uh, I think you don't get those scars. I mean, you might get a letter C and get upset at a course in college. Right. But how important was that course in, in the bigger scheme of things when you are thinking about, you know, real life and practical aspect of that course, coursework? Obviously, yeah. I mean, you mentioned pre-med. If you are becoming a doctor, every detail is important. Otherwise, you're going to get sued left and right all the time because you're not keeping your patients alive, you know? Absolutely. But, but other than that, I think anything that does not require that level of scrutiny, right, uh, you can learn it basically on the job. A lot of people, they may have gone to school for one thing for one reason or another. Maybe their parents told them to become right. a doctor, become an engineer, become a lawyer. That's right. that, that's most of Middle East, right? Totally. Uh, you know, totally. and, and totally. if somebody said, I want to become an artist, you go like, are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? You know, <laughs> No, <laughs> it's true. There are certain professional tracks that, you know, Middle Eastern parents, I, that's why I was on the pre-med track. I was like, oh, I will help people. I will do this, you know, but, you know, different strokes for different folks. Uh, not everybody is supposed to be in this square box that, and I do think that that's something that this millennial generation has been really lucky to explore. You know, you find that job retention is maybe one or two years in different places. And, and why is that? It research shows People want to get the opportunity to try different areas, different categories. So we are very experimental and exploratory when it comes to just figuring out where your skill sets are, right? Yeah. I mean, it's funny that I've, I've had uh, one of the guests I had, um, she went to school, uh, got her JD. You can, you can find the episode. Okay. Uh, 
she she went uh, got her JD, became a lawyer. She's cert- bar certified in New York. Uh huh. After finishing that, she said, "I don't want to do this." Oh and no! This is not. This is not for me. I I, I love marketing. I love uh, you know telling telling stories and stuff. Okay. And and she completely changed her career. Did not did not go into law at all. You know, okay. Brittany Crystal. Uh, Brittany Crystal was my guest, and and that, that's her story. You know, it's uh, and and what I encourage also young young people when I mentor them, I do mentor quite a lot of uh, uh, you know kids in college uh, or young people in college, and I uh, you know I tell them like, look, you know, you're starting out. Don't think that one specific company is your answer. It's not like right. J.P. Morgan Chase. It's not mm-hmm. you know what, what Fidelity Investment or something like that. It's not that. Uh, for some people, if I see that it, they've had uh, their back in, uh, you know, their background in business administration or something like that, I, my encourage, what I do is I encourage them, why, why don't you go and join an agency, work there for three years, mm. work on every type of client, figure out what really resonates with you or right. none of it resonates with you and right. then go from there and decide what you want to tell, you know, so th- that's kind of tell, I, I know that we went on a little bit of a segue here with, with, with the story. But what I want to do is I want to talk about now. Let's jump into what what's a what's a good anatomy of storytelling, right? Oh, good question. Go ahead, keep going. I, I you're you not done. So uh, if um, let's say we start with a a brand, a person, whether it's a person as a brand, a personal brand, or it's a product somebody came up with. Mm-hmm. Good example would be literally any product from shark tank the show right mm-hmm. that's where they're getting the most exposure for the first time when they show up and they're in front of the camera right when we start with a product that nobody knows but it happens to be an amazing product right but nobody knows about it it's me i'm sitting in my garage i'm the engineer i'm the product maker i'm the product designer i came up with the solution i created this thing uh, you know that's that's all i have uh, and i don't know anything so what makes for or someone is talented right but they're not but they don't have as a personal brand but they don't have that know-how they just know their craft really well right uh, they are a chef they in a restaurant all they do is from 6 a.m to 9, 11 p.m at night they're cooking and they're uh, creating amazing dishes but nobody knows them right so if you look at those kind of two scenarios uh, and I'm going to just let you run wild on this one, you know, take as much time as you can. Just walk us through that journey. What does the anatomy of that storytelling look like? How, where do I, where do I start when I'm on ground zero and how do I get to wh- where you have, uh, you know, on a personal brand perspective, you have folks like fully raw Christina, that's a now a household name. And a lot of people know her right. uh, in, in that world. And, and more people are discovering her uh, to products that appeared on, on Shark Tank and none of the sharks actually invested like Nest, for example, <laughs> you know, that's a home security camera thing, you know? Right, right. Ring. Oh, I think it was either Nest or Ring, something like, I forgot which product it was. And it, and it had a, uh, it was a runaway hit and, and it has become a billion dollar uh, company now. So what does that journey look like from your perspective as a publicist? How do you take people on that journey as you, as you walk them through from, from zero to hero? You know? Yeah, absolutely. Great question, Sabir. Absolutely great question. So there's there's a lot of factors that go into it, right? Um, and as a publicist, you know, you kind of sit down and you really distill the story, like we said. The first thing you really want to do is understand your value proposition. Like, what is it that you're really to get out there? Number one, 
what value do you provide to Christina's case? For instance, it was all about health and wellness and, you know, potentially curing or reversing different aspects of disease um, and being more health conscientious, but there was different little pockets, right? So you can kind of dive deeper into it. So for instance, when you create a library of content, like you have to make sure that you have enough content to be able to take the small pieces and run with them in different directions. So first thing you want to do, flood the market space, right? So like creating links, creating stories, having, you know, I work with this company called Babelbox and it's a fantastic uh, metaphor for what really you should be doing, right? Like you take your product, you put it into the hands of certain people, you have them write reviews. It's almost like Amazon and Google, right? Like, what do you want to do? You want to get as many five-star reviews as possible. So in PR terminology, we put that out there so that people, influencers, if you will, whoever it may be, can have their own personal experience, digest how they feel about your product, essentially write a review, whether it's a blog, whether it's a social media post, the cool part about that being it can go viral. So you want different hashtags, you want different ways to actually engage audience members with your content, right? So we're going to create a library of content, still it maybe into different parts, like understand, okay, Christina, for example, you know, she's got a fantastic inspirational message, then she has education. So she's going to teach you how to make fruits and smoothies and vegetables. And then we're going to kind of tie in, you know, all the health and wellness ties, then we're going to tie in the personal stories to that, then we're going to, you know, take that out and talk about her teaching, then we're going to integrate it back. And so there's always going to be certain stages of, okay, I'm going to plant a seed. I'm going to tell a story Then I'm going to take it. In Christina's example, we started a co-op, right? So every Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday, she had a specific touch point. These days, it might be an online class. It might be, you know, a, she calls it her inner circle, places where audiences can connect with you and ask you questions so that those messages become deeper and they become more seated in your heart. So you have that personal experience. So it's really a matter of pushing your message out making sure that the right people are able to translate it for you, whether that's TV, an influencer, doing it repeatedly, and then going back and evaluating the people who've had those experiences, asking them for a testimonial, asking them to come on an Instagram live with you to tell their version of your story, because chances are they're going to have a portal of people who trust them, who want to know what they think as well. So as you amplify that message through different eyeballs and through different storytelling techniques, then you go back and you create different campaigns around it and you'll find that you can weave different things out of it. So like for Christina, recipes became very popular. So then she started integrating her recipes into an app, into a book, a different touch point for people to dive into her content, right? Then once that happens, you go back and you dig a couple of stories out of there, dig a couple of testimonials out and go back and reissue those into a different campaign. Um, data is always important as well. So if you can find a new data study, like different things that keep your content wheels rolling, building things off of campaigns in PR is so vitally essential. There's always a day for something, a holiday for something. I find myself actively, so for instance, next month is Lupus Awareness Month. I have a client who reversed her own lupus. Um, and all year long, I'm pitching her, you know, in the, the context of, you know, she reversed her own lupus. She's a doctor. She's been on both sides of the coin. That story is evergreen. During times where there's maybe a potential hook, like Lupus Awareness Month, you take those moments and you really kind of elaborate on maybe, you know, the Lupus Foundation of America has a couple of stories that tie into Dr. Goldner or, or whatever it may be. So you really have to kind of find you put your content out there, you dig deep, you find people to come in, make sure that they have their personal experiences. You dig a little deeper, 
you make sure that you're approaching TV stations in different local markets. You, you take a step back, you evaluate what reactions people have had, and then you go back in again. So it's kind of this like living, breathing accordion of messaging, putting it out there, pulling it back, evaluating, putting it back out there, finding the point of, of where people have these personal experiences and you breathe through it, you live with it, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, very cool. Um, now, I mean, to me, I, what, what I was envisioning as you were telling, uh, telling us that is almost like pillars, you know, there right. are pillars of stories and, and after you create that pillar, then you have components that sit on top of it, you know, and, uh, uh and then when, when it comes to distribution part of it, like TV mm -hmm. distribution, radio distribution, podcast, uh, you know, social media, all of the specific uh, social media channels, influencers, YouTubers, and stuff like that. Those are just outlets, you know, of, of taking your message, but you still have to start with a, a foundational message and then you create uh, different chunks of it from what I understood from you, different chunks of it. And then you build for each one of those components, you build up and then you distribute it and uh, across and then wherever it, it catches um, any kind of momentum, then you start you, then you start pushing it even harder. Absolutely. And this can be like in the product space, like people come up with different versions of a product or, or iOS, for example, you know, they come up with different updates all the time. Just consider it like a technology update or, you know, you know, your car gets remodeled every two or three years and you have different people will come out with a different product line. Like, let's just say you're doing a fantastic job with creams and whatever, da -da -da -da, and then you with a different eyeshadow. You have to have different creative, um, I guess, portions of your brand that keep the content fresh. So whether it's a new product or whether it's a variation of the product or whether it's a variation of the story, um, the content, the fresh content to keep your library moving and then activating people, like you said, to kind of disseminate it. it, it that's kind of the life cycle, if you will, of telling a great story and being consistent with it. Christina has been out there for over, 15 years and her story hasn't changed, but we've still found creative ways to reintegrate people into, you know, why nutrition is so important to you. And whether it's better sleep, better energy, you know, reversing disease, whatever it may be, there's always going to be a touch point for it. You know what I mean? Got it. Uh, when, when is it too early to bring PR in and whether it's a personal brand or a product? That is such a great question. And, you know, I don't think there's the right answer for that. I have met so many brands who prematurely came into a public relations role and tried to tell a story and then they had better sales because of it. And then I have brands who prematurely got out there and, you know, they they didn't really make it, but they thought that they needed PR at the beginning. So I, I really think that this is something that's a case by case evaluation. I think that the digital marketing space makes it a lot easier for brands who have a product. If you don't have if you're just kind of selling yourself, um, I think it's easier to get your story out there without necessarily having, you know, a marketing plan um, because adopting PR when you have something, you know, there's, there's always going to be something that's like a trigger for things, like whether it's a news story or a personal experience or, you know, I would say 90% of people who are founders of a company either wanted to solve a problem or they wanted to give you a resource that you could be able to use to help you solve a problem. Um, so I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I would say that it's never really too early to start PR. You can always start somewhere with building a network, truthfully. So uh, the next question I have is a follow-up to that, right? Okay. So 
when is it too late uh, for PR? And um, the, the topic I am actually talking about is, is negative PR, meaning that something negative is happening in the marketplace. And, and every year you, you hear about whether it's a product recall or, or some, something that uh, a bad experience with the airlines, somebody got dragged out, you know, <laughs> you, know you know the stories I'm ta talking about. It's, in, it's part of our pop culture and media. When is it too late? Where where you believe that uh, when 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 it's crisis management, right, or negative mm -hmm. PR that's happening outside, and and it's happening to your client, when how do you structure uh, a response to that negative event? That is a fantastic question. I have had quite a few crisis PR situations in this last year, just given the climate that we've been in. I mean, it's a very tricky trade. Uh, I think you know, there's always an importance behind somebody seeing somebody get out in front of the truck, you know? So if there is any type of CEO or public figure who can address the situation, if it is something that needs to be addressed, if the climate and the temperature is so hot and having somebody come out and kind of own responsibility, that is a very important component to it. You know, just having somebody being responsible for it. Um, and then like, for instance, I had a client and we had to go back to the FDA um, and explain there was there were specific lot numbers and things and things were getting confused in the media. So we had to go back and really clarify point by point like where this had happened. There were refunds that were issued to certain clients and we had to go back and communicate with each individual client and say, you know, it is our customer service policy, we do blah, 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 blah. Um, so making sure that you touch people uh, when there are specific crisis situations that, you know, show that you care. The element of humanity is very, very, very important in crisis situations. And sometimes it's really important just to let it go away. Um, you know, if it doesn't dignify a response, you know, you have to really evaluate these things on a case by case basis. Now, when is it too late to have PR? You know, if the situation is really that delicate and it's a company who is a Fortune 500 company, I don't know any Fortune 500 companies who don't have publicists. I mean, you kind of just start off like it's it's part of the recipe for being in the kitchen. You got to cook, you got to this, you got to that, right? Everybody has to have a publicist in their, in their inner circle because managing messaging of a brand is a full-time job. It is very important. It is, you know, a lifeline for you. So I think it's to not consider PR, you should always be considering PR, truthfully. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel, I um, actually, I do agree with you. I mean, I've seen a lot of brands where the message has already gone to CNN. Uh, ABC is covering it, Fox is covering it. Every radio channel you pick up is picking, picking up that story about the mistreatment of the customer or the product was damaging or whatever else, but then you don't hear I mean, it's the opposite of it. It's not like you 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 want to let it go away, but the thing is, it's not going away. And and I, then I see that the company is not right. The CEO, head of customer service, or whatever it is, most likely it should be the CEO uh, standing up there mm -hmm. and saying, "Look, we're doing all these right things," and 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 tell you the exact plan that they're going through. Mm -hmm. And I feel like some of them are way too late, meaning that the damage has already been done and they are not, the publicist, I guess, in that scenario is not doing their job, getting in front of CNN, getting in front of the reporters and and really, or for the least, go on their Twitter. Cause a lot of media outlets now go on Twitter and see what what does uh, socially, are they putting anything up on Instagram or, or Twitter? A lot of brands don't even utilize that as a media outlet. I mean, if, 
if we see with the success of, uh, let's say, uh, President Obama and, and how he got into the office, it was social media, right? Mm -hmm. And all of the things that happened uh, with, with the Trump administration, it was all over tr uh, Twitter, right? So mm -hmm. th those tools are amazing tools to communicate and, and actually tell your narrative, to, you know, so that you can control your narrative. And I find it funny that brands, even to this date, they're not at least even doing that. Because the news channel that's picking up that story will go to Twitter to find that. So if you posted it there, they'll post that Twitter statement. So you don't have to even, if your publicist couldn't get you into in front of the CNN anchor, that's fine. Because the CNN person is going to actually say, oh, we, we just got it. We just heard from their Twitter, blah, blah, blah. They did a social post talking about XYZ, you know. So I, I believe that the tools are there, but but brands are not really utilizing it more effectively. This is where... Where, where the merge of like traditional uh, PR thinking versus the digital access you have to masses, to billions of people to tell your story. People are not doing it. Brands are not doing it. You know, I love that point. And you know what, Sabir? I believe that the reason they're not is because a lot of the people on the inside of the brand don't necessarily know the messaging. They don't necessarily know the narrative of the brand, right? So that's why it's a behemoth, right? Like, I mean, you've got Facebook, you've got Instagram, you've got Twitter, and you gotta have to have a different message for each one of these, but you make such a good point, right? When I tell my clients, you know, if we're not large enough to get to um, a CNN and MSNBC, let's make the noise on our own platforms first. Let's grow so that they notice us. I had one news reporter tell me, I was like, girl, how do you get your stories? And she's like, you know what? I just go to Twitter and see what's trending. And then I go down the rabbit hole and see who's got the best <laughs> version of the story. And then I go to them directly. And I was like, Ooh, so what did that mean for me? <laughs> that yeah, means yeah. that I'm hashtagging those things with my brand to become more visible. But when you get to a certain level of a company who they outsource and they have an agency doing their social media, um, and maybe it's not necessarily one person, but you have to make sure everybody's really in line with, with the statements, with the brand's value propositions, and that they also know how to handle I, you know, nobody will mention names, but I have had so many experiences with individuals who may not have been prepared to handle a crisis situation on the other end of a brand, right? Um, they might have a social media or an account manager who doesn't have a degree in law, doesn't have a degree in science, but knows how to say, thanks so much for joining. Thank you for commenting. And then they get slapped with this, gosh, horrible situation on a weekend, on a Saturday. Um, and they're not mm -hmm. fully equipped and, you know, the CEO is not, not there and they can't give a value, you know, quickly. They might be, you know, off traveling with their family, doing what they do best. You know, people try to have businesses so they can live their life and sometimes people pass them off. That's really important too, to, you know, be able to have passive streams of income. But if those people are not accessible when the shit hits the fan, what are you yeah. going to do, right? So the person who's standing in who may not have, you know, either a publicity degree or they might not know how to handle these situations, they might misspeak. They might say something wrong. And that's when it becomes a real situation to manage because you have offended so many people. Let's just say you have a very large platform. And then you go back and you look at it and you're like, who did I just put in charge of this? Like this, you know? So yeah, it's, it's really tricky. It's really about messaging. It's really about making sure that you also train your employees within a culture to know exactly how to respond to things. You may not be 
you know, the crisis communication person, but everybody within a company, if you're large enough, should know how to handle a crisis situation. Everybody should have access to, to that social media handle. Everybody should be able to contribute. You know, there's certain people who are designated to respond, but in a crisis situation, everybody should know how to handle it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we just talked about a very dire situation, right? Where, like a product recall or, or a bad customer experience and stuff like that. What are what are some examples of like worst failures you have seen in PR? Wow, um, I do have one, and I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. You so didn't think I, that this was going to be easy? No, no, I know it's not. I <laughs> I just desperately want to summarize this situation and explain to you how grave the consequences could have been. Um, so let's just say there is a platform, um, an online platform that, you know, has half a million followers and they unknowingly uh, incriminate without asking that person for their statement. Um, and then as they get closer and closer to resolving the issue, they loop this person in with, um, you know, various other offenders in different categories of which the person who is being called out has nothing to do with. So then the narrative starts taking a life of its own, right? And they start calling this person X, Y, and Z. And you have defamation of character right there on your, you know, on your hands. And, and there's blood to be spilled because some this person is losing business. They're potentially losing sponsors. It has become a very delicate situation. And keep in mind, you know, there are always people behind certain things. Like an influencer is a person too, you know, just because they have a public platform does not mean they don't bleed like you and me, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, when you're saying disparaging comments, and especially during this cancel culture, that we, I mean, goodness, I feel like a long time ago, we were able to make mistakes and we were able to learn from them and to kind of come back and really reshape and reframe. But these days, one mistake is lethal. And it is just the point to where like all hands off deck, you're canceled, you've been da -da 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 -da. I mean, how many people have we seen be canceled in our mainstream media uh, from the Me Too movement all the way down to, you know, our former president? It's it, it has been a very challenging messaging situation. And even so, the situations that you see as a soundbite of less than eight seconds are not the whole context of the situation, right? So how do you take those apart and get people who, <laughs> these days we have attention of eight, span, eight seconds, which is that of a goldfish. How do you get somebody with the attention of a goldfish to care about what really happened in a situation? Let me, right? let me, let me, let me interrupt you there. The attention span uh, for a digital person, for a social and digital person is... 1.7 seconds stop it not eight <laughs> 1.7 so i know from a media standpoint it might be eight it's 1.7 seconds like literally that's the slice of time you can have somebody's attention before they decide to swipe up and ignore you right and and that's because look at how instagram works or or uh, TikTok especially swipe up gone i'm gonna go into my next story the attention is 1.7 seconds, you know, that's why, that's oh why one of the reasons when, when you want to do any kind of, uh, uh, digital spraying, right. You have to get a lot of influencers on board. It, it can't be just CNN covering it. Cause that's just one data point. Right. right. But if you get, if you get uh, 10,000, uh, influencers telling that story, 
in, in a positive way. Like, let's say if you're trying to promote your product, for example, right? If it's 10,000 or 1,000 influencers, each one of those influencers, even if they have a million followers, which a lot of a lot of them do now, right? That That's a humongous reach from, from that set of influencers. Then for you to tell your story for a very brief second, and it's just one post on CNN handle on, on, on Instagram, it gets ignored. But if it's, if the story is told across a thousand influencers as you're going through it. So think about, uh, as an example, think about, uh, when, uh, either Apple comes up with a new iMac in all sorts of color formats, right. right. Or, or it's a, it's a Samsung with a new galaxy phone that they come out with. As soon as that actually tech takes a center stage, it, you cannot avoid not hearing about Samsung Galaxy on YouTube, on TikTok, everywhere you go. I'm not talking about paid advertising. I'm talking about influencers covering with fresh content. Everything covers it. And then when traditional outlets feel, feel left out, what they do is they they jump on that story also and they start covering it also. And they, they just become one extra data point compared to thousands of other influencers covering it to begin with. Absolutely. And how publicists do that is we do like product placement or seedings. And so we will send that person the newest mouse and we say, hey, we'd love it if you review our product. You know, we're not going to pay you, but you're welcome to review it. You're one of the first 50 to get access to this. Well, they get all excited. Their audience is going to get excited. There's value in that for them. So then once that goes viral, you know, we plant the seed, then they take the content, they make something of it, then it goes viral. And then the news media comes back and, and sees it and does it. Just so fascinating because it's actually found, right? Like the old traditional way was, hey, I'll just send it to the news. The news will get it out to everybody. But these days it's like, okay, we'll send it to the influencers. It'll catch the news media's eye and then they'll come back and then we'll be able to tell our story even deeper. But yeah, it's really fascinating. Tavir, you say some amazing things about digital content. Like I'd be curious to know, what do you feel like the connection is between the digital space and PR? Um, so... It's actually both of those things above it sits content strategy, right? Right. So mm -hmm. content strategy to me, even uh, whether it's social media or digital outlets and, and also PR to me, it's an outlet, you know, right. right. on top of it is your content strategy. And above that content strategy sits brand strategy. What does your brand stand for? And mm -hmm. this widget you created, the service you created, the story you want to tell, what is, what is the content strategy behind that? And from there, you produce uh, a pillar content, right? You, you produce your pillar content from that. And you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to deploy this pillar content in these formats, you know, and it could be, uh, it, it could be a PNG file. It could be a tweet. It could be exactly. an MP4 file. I mean, it could be any of those kinds of things. And then once you produce those, those assets, mm -hmm. then you can take those assets and you could deploy them and you can go like, okay, you know, I'm gonna go from uh, from kind of left to right. I'm gonna start from the uh, Facebook and Google, make sure that those two are covered because those mm -hmm. are gigantic reach reaches for me. And then Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, Twitter, on and on and on and on. And then uh, layered within it is your influencers, right? You have to you have to think about your influencers and see what kind of a healthy ecosystem you could create. Right. Because influencers, even though you're paying them they give you two things, right? They give you organic reach to their followers, right? Mm -hmm. When they're posting, not mm -hmm. maybe not hundred percent, depending on the platform, it's only so much, right? But you can always boost that to their followers so that every follower sees that message, right? 
And the other one is is uh, utilizing if it's a good enough content, utilizing it on your website, utilizing it on your own social channels, mm -hmm. taking it, using it as a PR piece to send it to media outlets and go like, here, here we go. This is what Gary Vaynerchuk said about this. And this is what uh, this other guy said it and that other person. Or if it's let's say if it's a vegan product, uh, look at the feedback we got from uh, uh, Fully Rock Christina, for example, right mm -hmm. on this vegan product. I think you could actually leverage all of those things and you could use them as a building block. But it, what starts with it, it's your it's your overall strategy first. Mm -hmm. What is your strategy? Don't think about the outlets at all because the outlets can change. It Absolutely. used to be, it started with radio and before the radio, it was newspaper, right? Before newspaper, it was the town guy. I, I don't know what they used to call them that would come with the drums and then take the sheet out and, and announce to you what was happening, right? Oh, yeah, the That's, scroll, the scroll. The scroll, yeah, the scroll. They would read it out, and then it went from the scroll to when, when we had newspapers and it was a written word now, and, and everybody got to share it. And then from right. it went from there to technology being radio, right? We, we got radio. From radio, we went to TV, you know? The first mm -hmm. presidential debate on, on TV. That was a phenomenal thing because they right? never got to see them. They could hear them only, right? And then fast forward to today, now we're seeing uh, platforms, uh, you know, with, with uh, platforms like Clubhouse where you don't have to see the other person. It doesn't have to be a post. You can just, uh, you can hear the person talk about and, and it's an audio uh, delivery of the product, you know, right. of, of whatever show it is. So those things will forever change. I am sure in the next 10 years or five years, there will be holograms in our, in our living room, you know? Wouldn't that be crazy? Yeah. Golly. Where, where you can see the presidential debate in your living room and in hologram, you know? That mechanism, the mechanism of that delivery would change, but what doesn't change is your strategy, right? Right, right. That doesn't change. That, that if it's a great strategy, you're going to win big time, regardless of how you're distributing it and how you're sharing it. If you if your strategy is weak and if it's if it's just a social post, then it's going to be only a social post. That's it. All That's flat. all it's going to be. You're gonna get two likes and it's gonna be two people from your own organization that's liking the post. Exactly. Not that it's getting any kind of traction from it, you know. So so that's the uh, that's kind of my thoughts around uh, around this and, and all of those things need to work in concert, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why when I was saying, like, you put it out there, you see which which people have identified with it. You grab those few testimonies, you take them back, and you make sure that those have more legs so that you can continue to expand upon them. Because that's what it's all about. It's having content that's good enough to push out there, seeing how many people resonate with it, what they've done. I mean, usually, Sabir, when I push a few things out, I make sure I have my top five people who I'm like, hey, guys, I just did this. Like, can you please act on it? You know? But at the same point, you just you have to be prepared to engage people in everything that you do, because the message is unfortunately, we have so much content out there these days. Like it's just it's a lot of a lot of white noise and you have to make sure to distinguish yourself through the value proposition that you're, you're offering to people. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, when when you have, you know, the best place to hide things is in public's eye. Right. Right. People ignore it because they they have that bias of ignoring it and they just they just uh, uh, push it aside, right? 
what, what do you do? Like Seth Godin had had this bo book. I don't know if you have read Seth Godin's uh, books called uh, Purple Cow. You know, it was, oh. it's, it's a pretty classic uh, book. Uh, the, the thing is, if all the cows look white and black, right, or, or they look, uh, what, do you, what do you call that, chocolate colored, I guess, with, with their uh -huh. hide, right? But the one that you will really talk about for the rest of your life would be if you came into the field and you saw a purple cow, right? So in the, yeah. sea, in the sea of sameness that you have where, let's say, if everybody is, I mean, right now, veganism is a, is a even though it has grown, compared to uh, other topics like junk food or french fries is a very small group it's not comparatively speaking it has grown over the years but but it's a small group but if you are making the next best french fries right let's say not vegan just next best french fries what's special about it right i can walk into mcdonald's and i can buy a, a fresh uh, french fries from from you know within a couple of seconds why is your French fry so different and so special, right? Now, if that French fry had polka dots on it, not because of any kind of disease, but because it's cool and a thousand influencers said that, oh, I, I'm going to try out those polka dot. Uh, uh, it's a poor example, by the way. I, you know? No, I'm but, with you. I get it. It's but an outstanding yeah, but it was something very special, right? Right. And right. and 500, 500 influencers did videos on it to say that, oh, I, I'm going to just go and try this out because they told me that their French fries is wrapped in gold, gold plate, you know, right. or silver, right? You know, some kind of flavoring. So you're gonna get you're gonna get a different kind of publicity for a product as 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 widely used as French fries. You know, Absolutely. everybody makes French fries. You know. Absolutely. And that's why niche marketing is such a special trade because you have to get into like the nitty gritty. And then, I mean, we built my sister's brand on a niche and then we were able to kind of balloon out into the one fully raw meal a day and then figuring out who interested in juice these because everybody can like a juice in a smoothie. Right. And only one time a day. But for those people who are the more extreme, I'm only going to eat fruits and vegetables. I'm not going to eat any rice. I'm not going to eat any fish. I'm not going to eat any salt. There's a very small audience for that. And then you have to dig into like, what exactly is the value proposition for them? Are they doing it because they're ethical vegans? Are they doing it because they have health issues? Are they doing it because their friend told them to do it? Are they doing it because food just looks pretty? Um, so you just, you really dig into them. And I mean, I have so many influencers these days that, you know, there's just a different value to everything you do. And, and brands especially too, you have to really, you know, dig deep. I just had um, an inquiry from, I'm sorry, my phone, my computer just started telling me notifications. Um, you know, I have this really cool inquiry yesterday from a, a fire pit and the fire pit dances to music. And how cool is that? Right. So I'm kind of jamming with the founder and he's like, Hey, I want to get in front of this person, this person. And, and then we both came up with the idea to like, you know, be a part of builders, like going after home builders and seeing if we can like make a really cool, um, you know, model unit for specific producers in LA when they come in. So they're going to have this experience and then everybody else is going to turn around and be like, well, P Diddy saw that. How can have that? You know? So, so it's creating the sex appeal behind certain things too, that allows you to really market it and sell it. Um, I mean, and even have you seen the show NBC Songland? Uh, no, I've not. Oh, it's so cool. So it's basically like the Shark Tank for songwriters, right? Oh, and wow. so 
thinking outside the box, like they have three really cool producers and then they have one artist. So like Luis Fonsi, for example, he comes on and four, four different songwriters of which some of my songwriters, they come in, they write a song and they are much like Shark Tank, the product, right? So they present the song to the Luis Fonsi, the artist, and then these three other producers pick, they pick their top three candidates. So one person gets eliminated and then each producer pairs up with an aspiring young songwriter. They reshape the whole song. They come back, they present it to the artist and the artist chooses the one song that they want to, you know, make their own. They put their voice behind it. Then they get the whole distribution side of it. What a dream come true would it be if this beatboxing um, fire pit becomes the sponsor for one of these episodes, right? Like that is product integration. That is creating something in a niche that becomes a larger marketing tool, but it's really through the messaging of PR and the eyeballs behind why this story or maybe this brand wants to attach itself to a a young aspiring musician's career. And so then they're giving back to the community. And one thing I didn't mention, a really important component of PR is philanthropy. Every single organization should have a tie back, a give back, something that they give to, because the vast majority of people have issues with X, Y, and Z. And if they're out there having a product that's solving a solution, you want to be attached to a goodwill unit that also does the same thing. Because in times of trouble, um, I've also worked with the Global Empowerment Mission, um, and they're tied to Bethany Frankel. Um, and they are all hands on deck, like literally jumping into planes and trucks and, um, you know, just trying to give back to the community in times of crisis. And those are great messaging stories, too. So, you know, I would really advise people at the end of the day to think about your messaging, to think about ways you can give back using those messages and then the appropriate tie ins to, you know, the accordion that we talked about, the life cycle of like breathing through a message making sure that you're able to really get it out there in the right ways, but allowing it room to breathe and live is very important. Cause like you said, you just throw one post out there and the three people that are in the organization, like it, you've just tanked, you've tanked. There's no strategy. There. There's, there's no content. There's no strategy. You're done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually the philanthropy piece is very interesting to me because a lot of the brands that I work with, that's one of my key questions. When, when I start uh, auditing the business, I go like, right. Is, is there any kind of a give back aspect to the business? Um, for example, you know, I, I think there are uh, brands like Tom's of Maine or, or Warby Parker that really did a, a great job. And especially Warby Parker, they tackled a, an industry that has like, I don't know, I, I think there are two main brands, I believe, in the whole world, you know, with, with glasses. And they tackled that sort of a category, but with a very simple message. When you buy one, Somebody who cannot afford one will will donate one for uh, to them, you know, and 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 you you see that iteration of that with with other businesses. And I think if I have my dollar to spend as a consumer, but I know that if I feel strongly about a cause, and I'm going to choose the brand that's going to do something for that cause, whether it's for epilepsy or breast breast cancer or anything like that, or it could be very simple. I mean, it, it could be other other topics too, like uh, uh, birds of prey. It could be uh, you know. Um, any kind of, any kind of, any kind of a mission that they are supporting, I'll, I'll get behind that brand because if I believe in it and I know that I could be spending my dollar anywhere, might as well spend it on something that's going to, that has a greater good attached to it. Not just, uh, you know, just, just uh, a single bottom line, basically, you know? Absolutely. Yep. So 
Uh, actually, I'm going to ask you one question, and then I'm going to ask you the toughest question of the episode. You know, so I mean, you you have shared uh, so much so far. One of the key questions I always try to uh, remember to ask is um, aspiring and uh, and uh, you know uh, young young people who are starting in in, in this PR uh, industry. What is what is your uh, recommendation for them as they're starting up their career? Such a great question. Two part answer. First part, get your hands on everything you can. And number two, as you do it, be very respectful to those around you and take criticism, constructive criticism as with a grain of salt, but wisely. Know that whoever is trying to mentor you to come up the ranks. And so if you have somebody who's giving you the time of day, learn everything you can for them. Always have their back. Always be appreciative. Um, and just make sure that you try everything that you can to get as much information and knowledge and don't ever leave any of your contacts untouched for more than six months. You should be following up with people, just touching base with people. You know, it may not be a newsletter, but hey, just thinking of you. Relationships are everything in this industry. Make sure that you are reaching out to people every once in a while, just saying a quick hi, a wave, a thumbs up, you know, liking a different post on their social media, engaging with people. It is vitally important for people to know that you remember them in this industry and never forget to keep in touch. Oh, very cool. So here's the toughest question, right? And I ask every guest of mine to share this because the show is built on $100,000 expert insights. So what is your number one insight for whether it's a, a personal brand or or a uh, um, a product brand uh, or a service brand, what is your number one expert insight, that $100,000 expert insight that you always go to that you would recommend uh, people follow right after watching this uh, episode? Get your messaging in order because if you can't tell a story, there's no reason that you should have a brand that has a public relations company fueling something behind you. Get your messaging in order and dream big. Dream big. Bianca, thank you very much for being part of the show. And thank you, audience, for uh, joining us. And if you're catching this on a recording, thank you for viewing it at a later time. And um, uh, and stay tuned. We have a lot more guests coming up, very exciting, including one that uh, Bianca mentioned. I'm not going to reiterate it. I want to surprise people. Uh, so we will be uh, we'll definitely be back with more, more and more episodes. And thank you, uh, Bianca, for being part of the show. Thank you, Sabir. Truly a pleasure.